And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. The Vault of Startling Monster Horror Tales of Terror! <laughs> Hello, boys and girls! It's your old chum, the Chris Keeper. Today we're talking about my favorite sitcom, The Fresh Blood Prince of Braddock, PA, better known as George Romero's Martin. It's the wacky adventures of a teenage vampire sent to live with his wacky granduncle who just doesn't understand him. I just love these crazy fish-out-of-water comedies. the vault of startling monster horror tales of terror i am chris honeywell and this month we are doing freak's choice this is number four of five freak's choice this is my freak's choice this month we are doing martin the biopic of the self-destructive comedian actor and his meteoric rise from tv to big mama's house no it's a george romero movie and i am joined by the rest of the crew, we've got Chris Tyler, the heavy metal hero. It's hair metal hero, and you only want me here for sex. Did I say the heavy metal hero? Yeah. The heavy metal hero. You are failing! Oh, I have one job. Yeah. <laughs> you ruined my joke. And we have Sean Anthrax, better known as... as <laughs> Joe Engel. Fuck! As Joe <laughs> Joe Engel! You need to stop smoking before you start these shows. I'm serious. It's messing with your brain. It, on Drugs Sundays, it's not smoking. It's the 10-hour shift at work. Okay. Oh, yeah. That's what we all say. That's uh, sure. Okay. Well, do, am I supposed to do my line? Sniper, Sean Engel. <laughs> Nosferatu! <laughs> <laughs> and we have them Jack and Eddie boys, Mr. Luke Jack and Eddie. You're a lazy boy, Martin. You're lazy. <laughs> and Jason Jack and Eddie. Damn, Gina! Oh, wait. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, hang on, hang on. What's up? Oh, wait, still wrong. Shit. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, but... if, if only Martin Lawrence were stabbed through the chest at the end of this movie, that would have made it so much better. I'm giving away everything. Oh. Uh, the problem is. Okay, the problem is Martin, the TV show, ran from 92 to 97, and it felt about, and it ran for just as long as this movie felt. So, yeah. I I know that Big Mama did not kill herself. (laughs) 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 But before we get to the festivities, I have to make sure I remember. We have, we have that thing 
that we never have, but we should Herpes. be having in the future now that we have an email address. Yes. Oh, I was oh, going to say it was Dignity, so. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Oh. That went up a long time ago. It's like, but we, we have that thing we don't have. Format? <laughs> no. No, we don't have format. Fuck that shit. <laughs> we actually, it's a dignified email. It's from an African prince, so... Oh no, we have a, we have another one besides that one. I, I got back to him. He's going to be in touch with us. Oh good, so. good. Nice. That sounded pretty legit. Absolutely. Yeah. But, but our but our other email is from a luminary in his own right, Mister Gene Hendricks, Ooh. who what? is the host of the Hammer Strikes. He uh, also is the host of the Hammer Podcast, co-host of the Quantum Cast, co-host of Anime Freaks, co-host of Comic Book Fight Club, and all around. Really snazzy, cool guy. Yes. And Gene, yes. Gene writes with the subject line, It's about time. Clearly this email is involving quantum physics. Oh. <laughs> Chris, Sean, Luke, Jason, and Chris. You can argue about which Chris is first and last, I guess. I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am Metaluna. <laughs> <laughs> And back to, we're already off track here. Back to Gene's email. Gene writes, you know, it took you long enough to get an email address. Your devoted tens of listeners really needed a way to get a hold of you. And now the benevolent Signore DiManzo has allowed it. Let me be among the first to say how much I enjoy your episodes, even if I haven't seen the movie that you're talking about. You all bring a knowledge and a passion. Notice he did not say talent. No. For the time. <laughs> that makes and that makes it really enjoyable listening. Keep up the great work, Gene. And as I said, uh, Gene writes the blog, The Hammer Strikes. He also uh, hosts the Hammer Podcast, co-host of the Quantum Cast, co-host of Anime Freaks, co-host of Comic Book Fight Club. All can be found at twotruefreaks.com. Uh, Gene, thank you very much for writing in. I'm glad that uh, even though we have probably per capita the lowest amount of you know decorum. Uh, class, talent, whatever and word listeners. you and listeners on the network that we that we can make your day a little bit more enjoyable when you listen to us uh, yeah. ramble on for I, ninety minutes about a horror movie. I just want to say, Gene, thanks for the kind words, and the pictures yeah. will never see the light of day. The check is in the mail. Yeah, exactly. Gene is completely awesome. Gene does so much, not only with podcasting, but he is constantly writing in to all of our shows. You know, the fact that he initially, before he started on the network, said that he went through essentially all of the two True Freak shows and listened to them from the very beginning tells that either he's still one, alive. One, that he's very dedicated, or two, that he's completely blithering insane by now. Yeah. Regardless, we really appreciate the email, Gene. Yeah, yes, we do. He'd have to be full... pretty crazy. He, say he records regularly with Dr. Bill. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's And that's for no full disclosure, piece. he records with me on Comic Book Fight Club. There you go. Mm -hmm. Oh, Lord. <laughs> that's, that's, that, <laughs> is, that is a show. I've, I am, pollu I've, I am polluting everything. I've hung out with him twice, and... Shared a room with him. He is nice. the tits. Well, actually, the first time we didn't share a room, but he got us a swanky room at ACBCCom. Yeah. You were hiding out in a closet on the third sub-basement, weren't you? That was awesome. I'm never in a closet. <laughs> no, you're not. You're out you're there, just and you're out there every minute of it. Living life. <laughs> I'm out there, Jerry. I'm out there. I'm only as God made me, sir. 
I, knew I think the danger was that there was a 12-inch Stonehenge monument in danger of being trampled by a dwarf. <laughs> <laughs> All right, no more, no Spinal Tap. We'll come Sorry. in on long play. Sorry. So, so Martin. Martin. So, Martin. Martin. George Romero, Martin. This was mine. I haven't seen this movie in, like, 25 years. I just realized how old I was. I... <laughs> Because this was well, one of those. You're really damn old. Well, once like, he, Night of the Living Dead. lack of an ability to count. He's like, one, two, once fuck. He, <laughs> Night of the Living once Dead again, was are bad, kid. a very formative horror moment. You know, Star Trek, the TV show, and Star Wars were my science fiction, you know, fantasy epiphanies as a kid. And Night of the Living Dead was my was my childhood horror epiphany where it was it was right it was right around this time of year halloween and uh the local library which i basically lived in would always have 16 millimeter movies through the you know new york library system it was like the national library system i think and uh of course, Night of the Living Dead was on the list because it was public domain at that time, so there were prints of it. But you could get Empire Strikes Back and stuff like that at, but later on as it went on. Like 16mm prints, you'd go to the library, look through the book, and have them order the movie, and you could watch it in the library. You could even sign out a 16mm projector and take it home and and watch it. But one day they had a special double feature and the first feature was basically a bunch of um readers digest versions of like the invisible man i remember was one of them i think uh um it wasn't the brain that wouldn't die but a bunch of those type of i and um jan and the pan the incredible shrinking man <laughs> was one of them and uh so they showed that first jason gets it i do I did not get that reference. That's fine. It's a misty thing. It's all good. <laughs> so so after that, and it was me. I, I think I was the oldest kid there. And a bunch of, and I maybe maybe was nine, ten years old. Maybe maybe even like eight, but probably more like nine, ten. And I think you're going to say 40. Down to, down to <laughs> the little girl that was like five years old. And the second feature was Night of the Living Dead. And, and you know, we're sitting down in the children's section of the library with a movie screen set up, and bloomp up comes Night of the Living Dead. You know, she's coming to get you about And, you know, it's, it's pretty soon in the movie that the librarian realizes she's made a horrible mistake. <laughs> and, and, of course, it's two giant reels. So the first reel's over... One little girl goes and hides in a bat in the bathroom. The librarian goes, I really don't think I should show you the rest of this movie. And the rest of the kids are like, but, but, but. And she's just like, I think I have to show you the rest of the movie so there's some resolution. And she's thinking, please let there be a happy ending. Please let there be a happy ending. That so, didn't quite work out, did it? No. Yeah. And you she, know, she, she didn't quite screen that very well. No. <laughs> and I mean, I had seen nothing like the gut munching and the, you know, just this. This was a movie that pounded home the finality of de oh, not only are they dead, but they're being eaten. Yes, they're pulling chunks of flesh off burnt up corpses. And uh, so 
not as much traumatized, but I was like, holy shit, what did I just see? That's not like the horror movies I've seen before. And I, I would actually sign the movie out and bring it home and watch it. And I was, you know, just totally, totally obsessed with finding out what was up with George Romero. And at the same time, later on, like a few years later, like Dawn of the Dead was coming out, but there was no chance in the world that I was going to be allowed to see it. Because I remember the reviews were the, the, the were good, but the like Gene Shalit-like critics were like, this is a hard R movie. You do not want to take kids to it. And I remember reading Stephen King's Dance Macabre, and he had a description of Martin in it. And, um, and I, I, you know, read that. And I, and when I was in college, I had a girlfriend who lived in Brooklyn. And the first time we went down to visit her parents in Brooklyn, we were going to go watch a movie. So we're like, we'll go to the video store. And video stores in New York City were a far cry from video stores in Carthage, New York. <laughs> there was everything there. Every, she, she was just like, hey, you like, you like the underground movies and the, you know, weird cult movies, right? And I, I'm like, yeah. And she's like, well, let's go over in that section. I'm like, what? What do you mean? There's a section. So it was <laughs> the section was a humongous wall of every movie that I'd ever wanted to see that I'd never thought I'd see, and the one that I picked out to watch was Martin. And my memory of it is very similar. For one, my memory of it is in black and white, which is weird. I thought it was in black and white for some reason, maybe because the famous port poster for it is in black and white, and there is a shot Watch of black, it, and black, and black and white. Yeah. Yeah, all the yeah. flashback scenes. In mm -hmm. the, the oh, yeah, flashback. that's true. All the flashbacks are, too. But, um, and I remember it being very similar to the way Stephen King described it. And when I watched it this time, totally disagree with the way Stephen King described it. He described it as being, you know, sort of up in the air, whether Martin was mentally ill or really a vampire. And... You know, and then he describes the ending of it as Martin is still, you know, he's dead and you see him getting buried in the backyard, but you still hear his voice talking on the radio show. And uh, when I was watching it this time, I was like, no, you don't. You just hear people no, wondering where he is. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I don't know what Stephen King, because th this time when I watched it, I think it was pretty clear especially on a second viewing when I was thinking about it, that he is some sort of vampire, you know, yeah, that, he that's has, what I got. That, that he has history with, with, uh, with, is it Kuda? Kuda, yeah, yeah. his, Kuda, his great Kuda. uncle or whatever. I, I know yeah. it's, it's just so similar to the Hemikuda in, in <laughs> Or as I like well, to call him, that Italian I I Colonel Sanders. Too. <laughs> yes, Philadelphia Colonel Sanders. Yeah, him walking around to that white suit you can't get the image of colonel sanders out of your head uh, you know i picture was... colonel sanders in a beautiful dixieland sort of setting with trees <laughs> and this is like sk and not in skid row yeah, yeah yeah you know i i kind of have to disagree aside from the fact of thinking you know that you get the flashback sequences where he's obviously the same age he has an age for all this this time that would be the only thing that really leads you to believe that he's a vampire, but he doesn't have any of the classic vampire 
uh, right. you know, strengths. He's not able to change into a bat. He doesn't have superior strength. All he has is a lust for blood. And I, I enjoy that because I know you and I, uh, Chris, have talked about one of our favorite vampire movies is uh, Let the Right One In. And that's mm-hmm. a very atypical vampire yes. movie as well. And I think this... they're very similar in their reinvention for their own purposes of vampirism. Yeah, this isn't this isn't Dracula. This isn't you know the stereotypical Bela Lugosi you know uh, dark cape type person. This is a person who you think might actually have a mental disorder and might actually be stalking people to drink their blood as sort of a fetish thing. As a serial killer. Yeah, but in in reality, it's it's actually something that he needs to do to nourish him, and it's it's interesting. And he gets brought in with his uncle or his great uncle, the 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 Kuda guy who, you know, lines his house with with crucifixes and you know has the garlic hanging up and everything. And it's it's an interesting concept. Is it as good? I think a movie as uh, Night of the Living Dead or especially Dawn of the Dead. I don't know maybe that's up to debate i'll let other people in, talk about that in, well and the and the thing about mentioning specifically not not so much dawn of the dead but day of the dead and chris you and sean both call the the see the, the little look in uh, cut in sequences we get there in black and white as flashbacks and now when i'm watching this i don't see those as flashbacks i see that almost as as his little uh because you remember when he first attack uh, um goes up to the woman on the train as he's mm. opening the door, she's welcoming him with open arms. It's not a flashback. It's a fantasy. So what that reminded me of was the girl in Day of the Dead, who all throughout the film has her dreams that mm. it's not clear what's real and what's the dream sometimes in Day of the Dead. And so that was like, that's Martin, what he what he's thinking when he's being, you know, when he's almost caught by the police. It's like, oh, they're coming with their, their pitchforks and their torches. The angry mob is coming to get me because he's romanticizing this vampiric uh, fantasy of his. So it, he might still actually be yeah. a quote-unquote vampire, but he might also just be insane. I am going to weigh in on this by going to the credits where it lists Flashback Priest as one of the characters. Ah. So I am going right from Romero's cast listing there and saying, perhaps there was a woman that welcomed him with open arms that he did kill. I that think looked exactly uh, like her, though? It's the same yeah, woman. Yeah, well, if he's been around that long, who knows, man? Well, right. That, and isn't he, that he, a trope he of... genetic dice enough times. Yeah. yeah. Isn't I, that a trope I, of vampire I, films? Isn't that a trope, you know, the, the vampire sees a person who he remembers from long ago and right. wants to go after him? So that's, Bright Night. Yeah, you talk exactly. about You talk about rolling the genetic dice. That's how we got Azure Argento. Oh, thank God. <laughs> I think yeah, that was more of a genetic crapshoot. Yeah. Well, no, uh, no. But anyway. Yeah. Uh, no, uh, he was lucky he's in the 70s with 70s forensics and not our modern forensics. Yeah. Or they, they probably would have had his ass pretty quick. Uh, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I am taking it as flashbacks. I think it, I, I think it works well thinking that he has been around that long and he probably doesn't talk because, you know what, nobody's going to get him. Well, Why would that, he talk that, to people? That's, that's the thing. With the first time I watched it, I took all his acting and his dialogue as being awkward teenager. And this time I was seeing it, and I was seeing somebody who was very really old, cagey, and like using some awkward teenager to pass, you know, to just to 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 be. 
I mean, to to his to his uncle, he he was trying to sow some doubt, but I don't think, I mean, I I it it, it was led to believe that there was in the old country there was you know family dispute with him before, years before, and now he's he's back meeting the uncle again, but um, not sure where I was going with that, mm. but um. Yeah. Well, you you were saying that that previously you had thought his performance was just him being awkward teenager, but now reading it, it's more like an affectation of awkward teenager. Yeah, he's he's got a, he's got a pass with yeah. with normal people in his situation. Although it's really you know, it's just strange that like if you were if you were a vampire or whatever or. Is he just getting passed from family? I guess he's just getting passed from family member to family member. But why does he passively do that? You know, it's strange. There's a lot of I love movies that just leave a lot to the imagination or, you know, there there are probably backstory and reasons. And it was fleshed out, you know, with Romero when they did the script. I don't know. I think filmmaking wise, I think this is a way better movie than Night of the Living Dead, probably not Dawn of, definitely not Dawn of the Dead, but on par with Day of the Dead, for sure. He, he definitely took a step up as a filmmaker from Night of the Living Dead with this one. He'd learned something, and color was a welcome, I like George Romero's color palette. Yeah, it's it's color, but it's it's dirty color. Yeah, yeah, it's it's washed out and gritty. Uh, Except the blood, the blood always pops. It's got bright, that hammer blood. Bright, yeah, yeah. The tempura paint blood, yeah. Yeah, and um, I mean, well, the but the color and the color palette of this film is kind of set by the setting, because this was shot in and around you know Braddock, Pennsylvania, so. I mean, I'll, I mean, uh, I mean, Chris, uh, you're you're from New York. Jay and I are from New York. You know, Chris Hero, you're from, uh, uh, you know, uh, the Boston area. You know, we all know what you know East Coast those Rust Belt looks towns, like. Towns, yeah. yeah. We've all, we've all, and and even even in the Midwest, they have those, Sean. So you you know what I'm mm-hmm. talking about too. We've yeah, we all got... seen towns like that. You know, we've all seen houses with the little, you know, was uh, uh, steel gate in front with the little fence. And especially where, you know, in New York, seeing the little Madonna outside and the little, uh, you know, two-story walk-up house and all that. So we've all seen that. That's commonplace. And so that kind of informs visually the ugliness of the film. That's, that's what I love about this movie is it, it doesn't, it, is its location does not, he doesn't pick his locations for like, this is a really picturesque place. This place even really has a great composition to it or anything like that. No, he just, it's a seedy little neighborhood with, it's its interesting. There's a scene where he's, you know, he's going to deliver a house and there's that weird little sidewalk behind the house with trees yeah. and stuff. And it's just like, oh, what, how strangely laid out is, is this little town? But I, I love that he played it for gritty realism. He had the actors playing in a very documentary style you know i i don't think they're you know they're obviously their lines were improvised but i think there was a little bit of improvisation in there i think tom savini did a great job acting in this actually he was 
one of the better actors in it. I thought the acting actually all around was really good. For it was, it's pretty naturalistic. Well, that's the thing is, it was like he'd gotten people from the neighborhood, and I'm sure a lot of, I'm sure most of them were actually actors and and stuff, but they were probably local actors. And they just had the feel of somebody from that neighborhood, the old bitty ladies and and Mrs. Uh, Santini. <laughs> oh, Mrs. Ow. Santini! Yes, seventy stealth. <laughs> well, technically, I guess not really. But when I was thinking of it as him being, you know, actually eighty, you know, eighty years, some years old, and an actual adult vampire, and his relationship with Mrs. Santini. It, it, I guess it makes sense with him as an awkward teenage, insane teenager, and as a as a vampire. It's, it's just a really well done movie. I was kind of afraid that I wasn't going on twenty five years later. I was gonna be like, ah, oh, this is, I see where he's going with this, but, uh, but no, I enjoyed it, all the way through. I enjoyed all the performances. I enjoyed, I enjoy. George Romero because not just because he's a horror gore director, but you can see him. You can see him having ideas and thinking, thinking of things to do and, and exploring on the screen. And it doesn't always work a hundred percent, but he's really, you know, he's really putting some effort into putting some depth and thought into it and watching it now where we've seen the vampire genre you know rebooted and reinvented every couple years it's sort of old hat now but man it is way ahead of its time and what about how many of you have watched I know Hero you've watched Dexter yeah in the beginning of this movie first the scene the scene where he's drugging the woman on the train and his kit and everything yeah totally was making me think I wonder if the makers of Dexter visually were watching this and getting some ideas and then That's two scenes possible. later he's cutting they have that extreme macro close up of him cutting celery and yeah. slicing up the celery and I'm like there's no way that the, the, this did not influence Dexter in some way yeah it's definitely possible Serial killer protagonist. So yeah, it tries to tries to be unassuming during the day, and then when it's go time, it's go time. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that's the the major catch of this movie is that it's it's the idea of whether or not we as the viewers should see this person as a vampire, as an otherworldly creature, or if he's just a crazed serial killer who gets off on drinking blood because he uh, like I said at the beginning has none of the other affectations that deal with vampirism the idea of garlic affecting you or the cross you know unnerving him none of that affects him so it, it it's this atypical vampire tale and it's led the the viewers to sort of you know think is the is the whole vampire lore wrong and incorrect or are vampires in some way able to adapt around that but or he, is well, it just this guy's insane 
But no, he specifically it, calls that out and says it's there's no magic. None of that's real. It's just you know I need to drink blood. It's a disease, you know. But and that's a very modern trope now, especially in comics, of you know, well, you know, you have the legend of how this is. Here's how it is really, you know, and you have this sort of more realistic version, quote unquote, of whatever it is that you're exploring and. And I think he was, you know, one of the early people to start doing doing that in this movie. You know that this is this is the film that Romero always said was his favorite of his films. Really? And, and yeah, and I, and I've read that in a couple of places. And and if that uh-huh. is the case, I can I can sort of see that because you know a lot of Romero's films there, even though you know they they do have they tend to have you know memorable strong characters in them. You know, I'm thinking specifically like Dawn of the Dead and Night of the Living Dead and so forth. This, they tend to be more plot driven, you know, or or thematically driven. Again, Dawn of the Dead is driven by the plot, which is in service of the theme more so than the characters. Whereas this really is a character study. We we really are looking at not just Martin, but Kuda and the, the women and all, you know, we're, we're really seeing a character drama unfolding that happens to have, you know, a, a killer in it. And one of the characters that we're learning about and getting in-depth uh, knowledge of is this killer, this very careful, measured killer who does all these things. And we see him when he's, you know, uh, in repose. We see him when he gets flustered, when things don't go according to plan, mm-hmm. when yeah. he goes to attack the woman in, uh, where is he? he? goes up to Pittsburgh, doesn't he? And he goes to attack, and, and then her lover is there. And now suddenly all his plans are out the window, and he's got to improvise I, and think. I know. <laughs> Just think of what a different world it is with cell phones. <laughs> the different, yeah, oh, yeah. That scenario would not have worked out like it did. But in, in, in the first time I watched that, I saw that scene as, and it is a scene of, of it going terribly, not terribly wrong, but he act. I, I thought, okay, this is how he damage controls it and pulls it off to his advantage. But the second time I watched it, I'm like, he's kind of toying with him. He's, I think he sort of feels like he has the advantage and he's sort of, he's very confident in the way he deals with that situation. But I'm thinking this movie also has the George Romero social commentary. Whereas I don't know, uh, where did they say he was coming from? Yeah, Indianapolis. Indianapolis. But, um, one rust belt town to another basically yeah and mm-hmm. and the and the women in this story are not are not passive victims the most passive woman in it is mrs santini who he's not looking at as a victim but the the women he he goes up against they put up a fight and you know at one in the beginning in the train you know she's fighting with him and she's just like what the fuck, you racist, rapist, you know, what kind of freak are you? You know, she's getting mad and sort of reflecting the times of people. And, and I'm, I'm thinking there's a theme in the movie where he's starting to think, ah, maybe, you know, I'll, I, I'll be able to deal with this as, you know, my sickness or something. And have a relationship with a person like Mrs. Santini because society's sort of changing and becoming more accepting, which is usually when the hammer comes down. Well, that's, which, that's that caught me as a big part of it thematically too. Tuta Kuda is all about 
the old people in the town and how they don't want things to change and the kind Traditional of priest Catholic that they want and, yeah. and what's happening. And Martin is that throwback to uh, more lawlessness and he's in that direction. But then he might his granddaughter is modern times too. Yeah. And she's, you know, the granddaughter is representing the, the future and how he just, he doesn't, He's at loggerheads with her too about the way everything is, and it's—I don't know—it's just an interesting. Well, it's the, an interesting thing to put on top of a non-traditional vampire story. Well, they set they set up when you know that she's there in the house with him. They set her up as you're gonna, and the first time you see her, she's cooking dinner. She's got her her apron on, and and she's got that sort of mousy look. And you think she's gonna be just a sort of naive character, and as as the more you get to know her, the more complicated and sophisticated she actually is. To the point of where she's just like, you know, he's like, I don't like your boyfriend Arthur. She's like, well, Arthur ain't gonna be around long. He's just my ticket out of here. You know, I'm just using him till I get out of this city and away from him. And mm-hmm. uh, and I think that's, and I think it's through her a lot of times, and watching her fight back in the way that she and she and Arthur interacted. Work you, you know, work you into society rather than hunt yeah. you down with torches and kill you, and that's yeah. the exact moment. I guess they're all kind of looking for their place then, aren't they? Yeah. Kuda's looking for his place in the old country, which isn't there. And Martin's looking for a place that, with his <laughs> problem, he's not going to find. This is Santini's looking yeah. for anything. Something, yeah. And, right. and the, the granddaughter's looking for a way out. It's, and the, yeah. and the, other, the other thing about the granddaughter that I thought was interesting is that Romero kind of plays with our expectation a bit because... Once, um, when we see Kuda go and open his store and all the women are waiting for him to go shopping and, and they all start, they start talking and he says, Oh my, you know, my, uh, my, uh, my, my, my nephew is, is staying with us. Oh, is he an old man like you? No, he's a young man. And she goes, Oh, a young, a, a young man living in the house with your granddaughter. That's scandalous. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's playing the seeds of, Oh, she's going to be a victim. But and I, and I remember that I I sort of remember her dying tragically or something for some reason, but yeah. I my brain no, but, just the thought of that because it's like an obvious plot twist that he didn't go right. for. So it it seems so it seems like you say like the obvious uh, twist for it, but you know she has her own story going on and her her story. I think her name is Catherine, isn't it? Their her and Martin their stories intersect, but they don't change course. You know, she goes yeah. off on her thing. She leaves, and he says, "I never heard from her again." Yeah, and I mean, and, yeah, know. he draws his strength from. Her. I mean, the first. call in the radio show yeah which is safe you know he's able right. to just dump everything and honestly talk on that and yeah and, and, that, and see, that's I... another that's another bit i'm sorry to interrupt you sean this is real quick no, go ahead. that that him the radio show to me is is kind of 
almost like the genesis of what we would see with the depiction of the media in um, in in, uh, in Dawn of the Dead, because the the very cynical approach to the media, you know, the classic line in Dawn of the Dead is, you know, if we take those stations down, they're going to change the channel, you know. Whereas here, understandably, that this is a, a a talk show that's on at late night, and there's this crazy guy calling in claiming to be a vampire. I think but, that's you know, Rock the, and Ron, who's a DJ. <laughs> not not Rock and Ricky D. Rocky Rock and Ricky. You're not Rock and Ricky fans. <laughs> but, uh, Rock and Ricky's taking a hit, but he's back. <laughs> or and it, and it's certainly not the 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 DJ from the end of Zombie. They're coming in the booth now, but um, <laughs> but the guy but the guy's like, look, man. I, I mean, see, you know, all he all he sees is something to exploit. It's like, look, man. I, I, how can I get in touch with you? I think we got to get you in the studio. You know, that's all he sees is is something to, you know, something to increase his ratings. You know, and then at the end, oh, whatever happened to the count? Whatever happened to the count? You know, it's it's no different than like a character leaves from the Z Morning Zoo or the John Boy right. Billy Show or you know uh, Howard Stern or whatever. Oh, you should you should bring back you know uh, um, you know. I don't know. The, oh, there the were Craig, Craig T, the round-headed frat boy, or whomever, you know? Yeah, I, I, I seem to recall a couple, three vampires and serial killers from Howard Stern at certain points. I was, I was going to say, but it's, it's just, it, it, to them, it's just, it's just a character. It's just something that they, they remember. Oh, that was a good gimmick you had on the radio, you know? Yeah, I was going to ask, you know, how, how prescient was this radio host to what we'd get with, you know, the sort of coast to coast OEM, you know, starting off with Art Bell, then moving into George Norrie and all this of this person who runs a, a show that runs from like midnight to six and talks about this weird sort of supernatural stuff. Oh, well, I, I think that stuff existed during that time. It just wasn't national like it was, you know, you had local shows like that, like Art Bell and Norrie mm-hmm. going on, but they were, you know. I, I mean, nobody knew of them outside of nobody would have probably knew, known about anything on the show outside of Pittsburgh area, you know? Yeah. So, so it's it's kind of prescient in that it, it essentially did the Art Bell show mm-hmm. maybe prior to Art Bell or at least before Art Bell became as known as he is in the sort of circles of late night radio hosts. Jay, you've been kind of silent on this. Did you have anything to to bring in I on this? You're not the biggest fan of this movie. From I am, talk I am not. The last few weeks about about it and anticipating. It's okay. It. I I am truly I'm not. I was not a big fan of this. Uh, I'm a huge fan of Romero, and this might be my least favorite of his movies. I haven't um, seen Night Riders, but I have a feeling Night Riders might be my least favorite. Yeah, Night Riders is, is down there too. Um, uh, the, I mean, see, I, the thing is, I mean, Night of the Living Dead is one of my favorite movies of all time. So it's, uh, um, you know, and I mean, and and to me, I thought The Crazies was a far better movie than this. Um, but again, it's really another, good too. Yeah, The Crazy because it just it just made, but it's that same. It has a lot of the same feel to things about it being, you know, very realistic and kind of, it, you know, it felt kind of. Like it was all real. Like it was like everything felt like it wasn't just you know there were no sets. It's just it felt like it was un un like just an event unreeling and unrolling in front of you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, The thing with you know with with Martin is, um, I thought the uh, I mean to me the most one of the most effective scenes is the train scene in the opening. Uh, I 
you know, just watching it again, I mean, having seen it well, something a long, long time ago and having watched it again for this, that scene to me is one of the most powerful scenes there. I mean, the other stuff is it's fine. It's just, I just, I'm sitting there going, okay, now I remember why I didn't watch this ever again. And it's just, it's, okay, it's, it's, it's what it is. Um, to me, I always in, in took it to be that he, he has a mental disorder and he's a serial killer and he, that he's not truly a vampire. Uh, you know, and, and if you look at it, the aspect of he is a vampire and things are just different. I don't know. It's just, I don't know. It's never sat with me, uh, that way. I know that there is an actually a longer cut of this. There's a 240 minute cut. No, no, sorry. Two hour and 45 minute cut of the movie. Um, that was the cut that Romero wanted and they cut it down. Uh, and part of me is wondering some of the stuff that was left out might've maybe put more of a finer point on some of these things we're debating. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Uh, I'm not hundred percent sure. I've never seen the extended cut of, I've only it seen the, exist. the right. No, what I'm saying is, but I mean, that's what I'm saying, but it's, I mean, you know, it's just, at a, at, I mean, at 160 minutes or 165 minutes, you know, um, you know, I mean, it's getting Lord of the Rings length kind of thing. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. uh, you know, uh, but I do know, um, one of the things you had mentioned, you had said, you remembered that being in black and white, and it's funny because that's Romero had originally uh, said he wanted the entire film in black and white, but the producers didn't want to risk uh, risk it, and they felt that the majority of the film should be in color. So the parts that we see in black and white were that was the compromise they made. Um, I think it would you know, have been kind of great thing. in black and white. Actually, it would have put it more. Uh, it would have added a little layer of the classic vampire movie to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Also, originally in the script, Romero had uh, Martin as a much older person, and this, and it would be you know, as a vampire struggling to live in the modern world, which again you guys have all hit on. Um, but when he saw you know, John Ampless, that's the actor who played Martin, perform um, on stage, he rewrote the character to be uh, younger, and he purposely had him in mind. It is the only actor he wanted, and to make him younger. Uh, when he would, you know, kind of to change it around. Um, so, you know, just to come up, those are a couple of the, what do you call things I just, you know, you know, kind of trivia stuff, but, uh, I don't know. It's, it is, I mean, it's what it is. It's, and the thing is this, is that it's not a, it's, it's, it's surely not the worst movie I've ever seen in my entire life, but it's well, not a movie I would go to as something to sit down and watch again. Um, it does raise questions. It does raise, uh, you know, it kind of makes you think about stuff. Uh, you know, it's okay. I mean, it's what it is. And, and the nice thing about, uh, and Luke and I have talked about this many times, the nice thing about this is all of us like horror movies. We like different kind of horror movies and different things, and we don't have to all agree on what we like and don't like and how we see things and whatever. And I think that's part of the great part about this is a movie like Martin allows you to have a conversation with somebody say, well, I think he's a really a vampire or whatever. And I think, well, I think he's, you know, mentally disturbed and he's, you know, whatever. And, um, and even though it does say that those scenes are flashbacks, I, Chris, I totally see where you're coming from that they're, they're his fantasies. You know what I'm saying? Like they could all be, you know, all those things seem like they could all be working. Um, and I think that's one of the big things Romero does and whether you like Romero's more current movies. And I know there's been a lot of debate about, uh, with a diary of the dead and, um, Land of the Dead. What was, was Land of the one? Dead. Well, no, no, there was uh, another one with Diary of the yeah. Post Land of the Dead. Land, 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 of the, 
Land, Land of the, the Dead, dead was there the was one. arguments about, but then like when Diary of the Dead and the, what was the other one? It was set oh, on I the island remember. of the feuding Irish clans. Yeah, <laughs> that's the one that people just are like with the zombie atrocious. horse. Yes, uh, yes. I will look it up. It's 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 survival. Oh, yeah. I remember it. Is it Outlander of the Dead? Of the Dead. I, I Out, is what it is. Not Outlander of the Dead. <laughs> Outlander. It was Outlander of the Dead. That is gone. Survival of the Dead. Survival of the Dead. Yeah, survival of the Dead. And I was right. just thinking so, how I want to watch it again to see because it had stuff going on in it. It was, yeah. and same with Diary of the Dead was like almost like him going like, okay, I'm an old. Diary of the Dead came out at the same time as, I think it was called Redacted, and it was a Brian De Palma, um, found footage, movie set in Afghanistan or in Afghanistan or Iraq, and it came out right about the same time as Diary of the Dead, which it was like two old timers you know, testing out the found footage genre. And you could see a little bit of grandpas trying to make a found footage. But it was also interesting to see somebody who, you know, who's has a whole film career behind them and a little more, you know, sophistication with age. Taking a, you know, taking their, taking a little turn at the, at a, at a modern genre, you know. Redacted is 07, but that's that's the one. Just looking, that's the one where they the reconstruction of a rape and murder of a 15 year old Iraqi girl. Yeah, that's okay. You're talking about the same movie. Okay, no that's, problem. It's that, that, just... that it's but it's a found footage that both movies, yes. both movies just disappeared. <laughs> and sunk. yeah, uh, I mean, redacted, it's just obvious why that one sunk and disappeared. I've I've seen both of them, and redacted is interesting. But at that time, nobody wanted to see an Iraq movie, especially about our troops raping and killing somebody Mm -hmm. and trying to cover it up. That was just not going to play at the box office. But as a as a as their impression of of how you would film a, a found footage movie, they were very interesting. Diary of the Dead has one of the greatest zombie Romero zombie moments Without there's a zombie in it, but it's when the um, deaf <laughs> deaf Amish guy. Oh yeah, with his with his chalkboard around his neck. Don't yep. shoot me, I'm Hezekiah. I am deaf. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm just saying is it just you know I mean when you look back at the um, you know his uh, his films I mean Night of the Living Dead okay. And you mean, you know, I mean, he made Season of the Witch and then The Crazies back to back. And then after that, he had a couple, there's a couple of things in there, including O.J. Simpson juices on the loose. Um, just kind of funny. Now. Really? Not funny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Funny now. Not funny. It wasn't funny then. It, it, was, it was a sports documentary, but it was like, but he made all that in between because Crazies is 73 and Martin's not until 77. And then the thing about to go right from Martin into Dawn of the Dead. I mean, they're two totally different movies, and um, yeah, I mean, I, like I said, it's just it's hard because I mean, to me, Romero has always been um, like he seems like he, I'm not saying say like he he's somebody who's like like was untouchable kind of thing, and uh, his movies 
if you didn't like something, it was like, oh, well, how can you not like his movies? It's like, I'm like, okay, it just, it's just what it is. Um, this one's just not doesn't doesn't do it for me. I mean, mm-hmm. I like I like the dark half better than this. I like, you know, Monkey Shines better than this. It's it's okay, but it's you know, it's what it is. I have to check. The, I haven't the, seen both of those in almost as long as it has been since yeah. I saw this one. Well, the I, thing is I with, remember with the, I saw Season of the Witch at a drive-in. I don't remember anything about it because it was the last it was the last feature of an all-night you know, just trashing movie yeah. festival and it was under the name Hungry Wives under one of its yes. alternate title and I'm sure they put that at the end in order to make everybody stay all the way through it's odd i saw that i didn't see that with a bunch of my friends in high school i saw it with my sister and my mom and my mom's boss and his wife and their kids sleeping in the <laughs> in the way back of the the van it was i got to see the astro zombies in that little, uh, film festival too <laughs> <laughs> but I don't remember anything about Season of the Witch. I don't remember anything that happened, and I remember seeing it and being bored and not mm-hmm. realizing it was a George Romero movie at the time, or I would have flipped my lid. I would have thought I'd found some, <laughs> you know, lost because tre- I'd never heard of it. Yeah, I mean, it's not what do you call it? It's not a. It's certainly not action packed. Let's put it that way. No, I mean, and I I'd think like that's... to see it. It was probably because it was four in the morning and I was, you know, yeah. barely awake. But um, and I and I still have yet to see Night Riders, and I think those are the only ones of his movies I haven't seen. I always wish. I remember there were always the rumors that he was going to do uh, the Stand with Stephen King, and that would have been something I would have really enjoyed seeing. <laughs> Well, he did with uh, Argento. He did the, um, he did the, no, Argento did the, yeah, yeah, he did. But Argento did the Black Cat, right? And that, and then uh, he did. Uh, oh, I forgot the name. Um, the uh, oh, crap! I can't, I can't remember. Luke knows what it is. I'll look it up. Hold on. Yeah, it's been a while since I've seen Two Evil Eyes. Again, it's on the tip of my tongue here. The facts in the case of M. Valdemar. Yeah, that's. I mean, it's good. Again, it's an, another. It's not. It's not because you know, the thing is, Romero's zombie movies and his non-zombie movies are very, very different than each other. Um, but it's it's okay. I mean, there's people who are known for. He's known for, you know, Night of the Living Dead. And he's also known for not really being part of the system and being kind of outside of things. I mean, think about it. I mean, it's it's what it is. As, I mean, a, as a commercial maker, you know, a filmer of yeah. commercials and industrial films. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, uh, part of the thing, though, is when you look at, you know, I mean, because uh, this came up the other day, we were talking about Ridley Scott, um, who's a very different director than uh, than George Romero. Um, and it's there are some, there are some directors who have uh, who make the same movie a lot and not I'm not truly not saying Ridley Scott makes the same movie a lot. But there are some directors you see, they make the same movie over and over and over again. Right. Because they kind of found something that works. They keep exploiting. That's what they're going to keep doing. Right. And with Romero, like every one of his. Yeah, well, Charles Band is an ex- I think the exception to the rule, Luke. But you know, what I'm saying. <laughs> I'll just say it. He, because 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 he will stick his thumb and keep pushing it. You know, our our buddy John actually worked for Charles Band out in California, um, and he was like, "Hey, why don't we do this, this?" And he goes, "You know how much that costs? Good Lord, kid! You know, kind of 
let's just keep pumping out, you know, Evil Bong oh, 12 or whatever. Right. You know, um, so what happens, you start seeing directors, so what every one of, and I truly can look at, you know, you look at uh, Romero's stuff as two separate things. His zombie movies each are different. They all have their, they, 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 whatever political statement they're making and whatever, but he's known for that. Dawn of the Dead, even if you have never seen Dawn of the Dead, which is hard to believe, um, people <laughs> know the, the name Dawn of the Dead, whether it be from the remake or from whatever, or it's just something like that. But Night of the Living Dead, it, there are people who have never seen it. They're like, oh, I saw that movie. It's got this, this, and this in it. I'm like, you never seen it then. Okay? It's kind of like saying Text Chainsaw Massacre is the bloodiest movie of all time. Yeah, and there's well, no we, blood in the entire movie. Right. Yeah. yeah well, I, yeah. I fought that fight against the Tiger newspaper at Clemson University many years ago. Yes. So. Yes. So <laughs> what uh, what I'm saying is, when you look at like his non uh, dead movies, you know, you're looking at a very different kind of stuff, and and it takes somebody who's you know sure in what they're doing and willing to take chances, and I think Martin falls in that category. You're gonna make a vampire movie. Where the guy doesn't have, where he's not a, I mean, he's a vampire, but he's he's not a vampire, he's not, he's not Nosferatu, he's not walking around, he's not super long fingers, he'd have fangs, he's he's not turning into a bat, he's not turning into mist, he's not doing any of those things that we see in the vampire movies at the same time, because that's '77. When did when did Langella's Dracula come out? That's got to be what '79, right? I mean, completely different kind of vampire in that movie. You know I, mean, even in, I mean, in 77, we weren't that far removed from the Hammer series, you know? True. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. And, that, and, um, and those were steep, and those were, were the exactly the opposite of what you're saying. They were set, by the end of that series, they were set in the modern day, but still had all of the classic vampiric qualities of it, you know, in those films. You know, so, yeah. so it really, and, and almost to the point that Romero, in the scene where he's, where Martin is terrorizing Cuda, is almost yeah. poking fun at it. Yeah, yeah. It's like, definitely. wow, look how ridiculous this looks when I'm I've got my face painted up and I'm wearing a cape yep. and there's all this fog. Doesn't this look ridiculous? And, he, and you he's almost it. Yep. yeah. We buy it, but at the same time, it's like, wow, that this compared to what we saw in the previous scene with him, you know, both on the train and then in the in the house in Pittsburgh, mm -hmm. this looks a little silly. Yeah. So it's it you know, and, and ultimately, of course, that's what Martin's point is. From a character's perspective, well, is to say, a, look how silly thing. this is. The, the silliest moments got Kuda, who's the strong neighborhood anchor, you know, Nosferatu, you know, I will dominate the situation. That's got him lying on the ground, quivering and, you know, holding his crucifix up and thinking that he's about to meet his maker. Right. Well, so, I think I mean, that also. That's, that's, Go ahead, Jeff. If you think in 79 was when uh, Herzog put out his version of Nosferatu, mm. right? I mean, could not be any more different. And at the same time, has a lot of similarities to what you think about. I mean, again, and I know it's two years later. Um, when you watch Herzog's Nosferatu, it is completely different than any other vampire movie that was coming out around that time. There was just no, that people weren't doing that stuff. And Werner Herzog, you know, marches to his own beat of his own drum. You know what I'm saying is, uh, that's that's a, kind of an understatement. But you know what I'm saying. Like he's not out there to make movie for you. He's making it for what he wants to put on the screen. Right. And I think that's part of what we see here. Um, again, Luke had mentioned this, and I've I've seen it always. It's Martin Romero's favorite film. It's, it's the movie he wanted to make, 
And I think, I mean, if there ever is a low budget auteur, and those are rare, and he's a genre low budget auteur, and yeah, they're just like national treasures. Yeah. And I think that's what he's doing. I think he's showing you this is the movie he wanted to make. Uh, You know, it didn't, it didn't, he clearly is not paying that much money for sets or anything because there are no sets. You know, it's real houses they're shooting in. They're, uh, you know, um, the house, Kuda's house. Is actually the sound man, Tom Bubba, or Booba, right? And if you look, the the photo album that's featured in the movie is the is the guy's actual is is the sound man's actual photo album from his house, and the artifacts around the house also belong to his family. So they're filming this as cheap as they can, you know, all around doing whatever, and and I think that's what leads it to being you know so different and stuff. Yeah, it's. What, what always gets me when I, when I, when I uh, you know, when you look at stuff from a certain time, that movie truly feels like it's the 70s. I mean, you look at oh, that, yeah. you, know, like, you, know, you know, there's no doubt that you're like, oh, I know when this takes place. You know, he, he wasn't doing a period piece. He was doing a modern take on a vampire. Yeah. And that's cool, you know, kind of thing. Um, but it, 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 but when you watch this, it's like, it's like um, one of my favorite movies of all time is Carrie. You watch Carrie, you're like, man, you know what would make this a lot easier? Cell phone would totally c- cancel all this stuff. This could take care of it. Like, you're the, this could totally take care of this. And you're like, oh, it didn't exist back then at all. And that's what has happened in here. Yeah. Um, yeah, modern modern forensics would have totally killed Martin's entire thing. Well, we got this guy. He's <laughs> yeah. It, uh, th- th- this this is like a pre credit sequence on CSI here. You know. Exactly. <laughs> he obviously yeah exactly. He obviously set set up this tableau to look like a suicide, but uh, yeah. But he, yeah. he left his fingerprints on every single item in the room. Every surface. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. but. Uh, just two things real quick, because one, we keep saying Nosferatu, and all that makes me think of is she is Nosferatu. She's, She's Italian? Italian? <laughs> <laughs> Again, and, and a very different too. <laughs> Yeah. She's almost dead. She's dead enough. But... Um, uh, but again, all, all this, you know, the I think the fact that this film raises these kinds of questions... And and I think this again, this kind of plays into this this idea that oh this this you know was Romero's favorite film or, or you know however it, it's you've seen it put, is that it, it does ask questions it does make you think just like the dead films make you think, you know I, I mean I, I don't want to sound like a hipster but I was into zombie films way before everybody else was right <laughs> one of the reasons for that was you know was was watching was was actually watching Dawn of the Dead for the first time as a as a as a young adult. And really starting to understand, you know, being old enough to finally get the the, the socioeconomic commentary in that film. Well, Whereas here, you know, like you say, Hero, you made a great point. Everyone is searching for their place here, and this is definitely a character-driven piece. And it, and it and the strength of this film rises and falls, I think, on not just the concept but on the character. And and again, we don't have the the greatest set of actors here. But I think they're they're believable, you know. Mrs. Santini, this is the Real Housewives of Braddock, Pennsylvania, right here, you know. All, all in, and I don't even mean that as as a joke. I mean that this, this is, know, yeah. You know, I mean, I mean Thoreau said that all that the mass of men lead lives of quiet desperation, and and you know that uh, Mark Cherry connected this with the housewife in the first season of Desperate Housewives. That's what this is. She leads that life of quiet desperation. All these people do. You know, and, and they, they have their own little battles that they fight. When the granddaughter has to get out, she knows that she has to get out of here, whatever it takes 
if she's got to use Arthur or whatever to get out, she's oh. got to do it. Just uh, she uh, knows he go drink blood. Pretty whether much, whether it's a physical need or a um, a psychological compulsion, he has this desperate existence that has to be fulfilled. Pretty pretty much every man in this movie is kind of toxic. The only one that we don't know is the boyfriend, you know, the boyfriend in the one house, because all you know is him chasing around the house. It's pretty he- funny, though, like when he, when he thinks it's her husband, it's like, hey, dude, we don't we don't got to get excited about all this. Yeah. <laughs> that's, such, that's such a 70s response when you've been caught in bed with some guy's wife. Yeah. Mellow out. Yeah. 70s were a different time. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> Like, uh, so was, been so a was Romero's hair as the as the priest. Oh yeah. my God, the no, smiling priest ever. But I think you're dead on. There was a chance that 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 could have gone a different direction. You know, that's what yeah, the guy's thinking. Like, and it's, yeah, it's like, you know, uh, why don't you join in, buddy? Come on. <laughs> yeah, like the seventies. <laughs> Jesus, was the 80s, would do... do the sexy stuff when they're uh, you know asleep. Come on. I think he was if if it was. If it was the 80s, they would have been doing coke and then had a threesome. So that's the difference yeah. between the 80s and the 70s. Oh, let's make it. Well, he would have told them, don't and... look at it, eat it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that's American Psycho. Here we go. I was going to say they were going to. I was going to say they were going to do coke and then go vote for Ronald Reagan twice. Ronald Reagan a few times. Yeah. <laughs> I want to. Let's make that. Let's do an 80s pastiche. Let's do. Let's do. Cocoa vampires. <laughs> nice. Teased Do a Google search. Make sure it hasn't already been done. <laughs> I, got, I got a feeling. I got a feeling. I've seen that. I'm so. checking. Wasn't yeah. that? Fair? I'm still. Yeah. So, kind of funny thing is this. After I I watched this, um, uh, I noticed. I look. I'm looking at Martin. I'm like, and I had, I'd seen again a long time ago. I'm looking. I'm like, man, that guy looks really familiar. I'm like, where have I seen him? And I'm like, I know I've seen this movie, but I've never seen him anywhere else or whatever. So I was like, all right, whatever. It just kind of stuck with me. And then, um, so I'm at school, and we have a, I think he's a junior now, uh, a young man who looks 100% like the, the actor. I oh, mean, geez. has a lisp, has the same haircut. Like, I'm looking, I'm going, that guy looks a lot like. Now, his name is not Martin, um, but I was really, I, if he had been, I think that's what just, I tell my kids all the time. I think if this happens, just run. You know, that's a that's a run situation. Um, <laughs> Are you gonna but, stake him in the locker room or no, something? No, no, And uh, you know, there's laws and stuff. But I was, I was just saying is that he when he got in my class, so I don't actually know him, know him, but I just saw him in the hall. He looks just like this, and he comes into uh, the business class, is in my room, and he starts talking about. He's got the same lisp. It sounds like him. Oh, like this is unnerving. So I told the, uh, the 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 business teacher in there. My he's my buddy. I'm like, there's a movie called Martin. And this kid looks just like it. He goes, really? So we pull the picture. He goes, holy crap! He does look like him. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> he goes, all right. He's not a he's not a horror guy or anything. And I'm like, okay. But I thought that was really funny. Um, that where I'm like, here I have his movie I haven't seen in forever. I pull it on. I'm like, oh, it looks really familiar. Holy crap! That's the kid who came into my room ninth period yesterday. You know, so <laughs> ask him how old he is. Yeah. Oh, I'm yeah, real that's... old. <laughs> it's usually not a good thing when a teacher starts asking, "How old are you, buddy?" You know, kind of <laughs> yeah. You know. Well, remember, yeah. dude, this isn't the like '70s anymore. Movies. Yeah, <laughs> hang on Turkish showers. <laughs> like Turkish prisons. Like watching gladiator movies. That's it. <laughs> Did you ever hang around the men's shower? <laughs> yeah. 
you like it when scraps humps your leg? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's like that's like that time I had to get rid of all those Pokemon cards. So I took my van down to the playground and was saying, "Hey kids, I got Pokemon cards in here." And, oh, yeah, oh, that didn't man. work out, did it? That did not work. I tell you what, when that cop slammed my head on the hood of the car. That hurt. That's all I got to say about yeah, that. Yeah, you see, that was before the days of the cell phone. It would have been much different. <laughs> Could have had a GoFundMe going right now. No. <laughs> 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 the shit. I enjoyed this movie because I love 70s, this, the whole 70s feel, and I love slower moody horror movies like this almost like think piece movies you know it, and it has that element of um short films almost you know the way they they would shoot short films little documentary films that you would watch in school i think a lot of george romero's history as a industrial filmmaker led led this movie to to, to have that look and usually those short films are low budget too so it had the low budget work with what you have look and I could just watch that for the look and the feel and the atmosphere of it for hours anyway and and once you got George Romero directing it then then I'm sold from be, from beginning to end I was I was thinking I was gonna get a little bored about halfway through but uh it sucked me in beginning to end but that's why it's my choice <laughs> this month instead of well you know following this up it'll be interesting to see what we have to say about the next movie which was my choice that's going to be coming up next time do we have anything else that we wanted to talk about on this or there's one finished? last thing I want, I want to throw one last thing out here this I, I saw this and I wrote this down and I, th I, I thought of uh, I, th I thought of Chris in 83 Soft Cell released a song called Martin that's inspired by the film. Oh, really? I'm going to have to look yeah. that up. I, oh, I saw that and I was like, oh, that just, I got to put that in there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> my, my only other note that I have to this is I had that same walkie-talkie set that he used to open the garage. <laughs> I wish I would have known that it opened garage doors. There would have been a lot of mischief caused by that, but I had no idea that you had the magic power to open a garage door with a walkie-talkie <laughs> like that. The exact as soon as I saw it, I'm like, "That's my walkie-talkie set with the Morse code right on the front of it." <laughs> yeah, the um, and the uh, the other note I had was the producer Richard Rubenstein. Uh, he cameos in the film as the husband of the cheating wife, his victim. <laughs> oh, okay. So, the guy so, yeah, using the garage door opener. Yes, exactly. They need, they need someone to like, who can stand in. He's got a suit on. Put him in the movie. <laughs> a lot of times, a lot of times, those guys put money in, and they're like, "Hey, man, do you think he can squeak me into the movie?" And they're hoping maybe they'll get a sex scene or something. Yeah. Nope. It's like, but hey, yeah, you, you got a, you got a, a '70s mustache and a suit. What's my part? <laughs> it's called the cuckold. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Again, that would, that would have been a different movie if it was a cuckold. So, yeah. <laughs> Uh, it's like what do you call it? it's um, uh, Sandy Kalara who did Batman Dead End uh, and, and he's now trying to he's now getting the funding going for Shallow Water which uh, which I'm actually going to be once my uh, I'm going to actually back him on Kickstarter and that whole thing because there's a way to it's a long story but there's a way to get the actual you can get props from the movie and stuff like that if you go high enough up 
and if you get high enough up the chain you become like an executive producer or whatever and um you're on set so many days whatever but there's one where you're on set the entire time like you know you you're basically kicking in to become a producer i mean he's trying to raise over he's trying to make like like a half million dollars to make this movie and it's going to be sweet as all hell because i've already seen the suits and i've seen this stuff and it looks great but it's like you can be on set and i'm thinking to myself going if i'm on set I know I'm going to have to be in the movie somehow because that's you know, kind of thing. But it takes place. They'll be, like the, they'll they'll be like, the, the, like the video for Rapture by Blondie. Yes. Yeah. The, 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 police, the, the British policeman in it was a, was a British mu- music writer who said, hey, can I be in the film? Can I be in the, mo- the mu- music video? So they, they dressed up like a policeman. Let him just walk through that one scene. <laughs> what to say it is, it's like, I, I guarantee you, if I'm kicking out, I mean, we're talking, yeah. I mean, it, thousands of dollars if i'm kicking in you know like six thousand dollars into the film put me on the screen at least for i, mean, I don't care if i get killed whatever quickly yeah. i'll do I'll, you know whatever be cool um but it's one of those things you know kind of just i came across those you come across notes on stuff and like you know um the fact that the the church where they filmed where the kudish church was uh filmed at the braddock church that actually had been destroyed by a fire you know, kind of thing, like things like that. You just come across, you're like, okay, like some of them are weird and some of them are like really cool. And some of them are like, oh, that's right up Chris's alley or that's right up Luke's alley. That's right up, you know, uh, well, that's, that's alley kind of thing. the thing with the church that I mean, that's like their car in um, Night of the Living Dead. Yeah. You now that the car got damaged between them days of them shooting. So they had to film, work it into the script somehow. Yeah, they know? had a car accident and they had a, that's why, that's why they hit the thing. Yeah. <laughs> But no, I mean, I, I like I said, I, I had not seen this in a long time, and it, it's very atypical for the type of movies that I generally go for. But I, I liked it as a character study. I thought it was really, it was interesting. It was thought provoking. Like I said, it, it it made me ask the questions: Well, is this guy a killer or who's crazy, or is he actually a vampire? You know, and it it made me think, which is more than I can say for a lot of modern horror movies. So kudos on that. Yeah, kudos on that. Kuda. Kuda. <laughs> The Hemi Kuda. The ending is awesome. Oh, yeah. That's that's very similar to the Night of the Living Dead. Um, Abrupt, and then a sort of, you know, burial over the credits. Mm -hmm. Kind of a coda to the film. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. A coda. A coda. A coda. The Kuna Matata. That means put your past and you're behind. Uh, the uh, the uh, you know thing that guys no. <laughs> even 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 the crazies is not you know I mean it's got that kind of ending. Uh, you know where the the scientist is yelling, no, I have the cure, and he, he's just nuts. And they're like, oh, let's get him out of here, you know, kind of thing. It's it's I mean, but that that speaks a lot to Romero and the way he saw the world. And uh, and I watch, think he felt uh, that he, I think he was Shamalama ding a dong in it a little bit. To where <laughs> yeah. in the beginning he thought he had to end his movies with kind of a bleak twist. He felt kind of yeah. Well, there's um, there it's it's called Nightmares in Red White Red White and Blue. Yeah. Um, it's, it's one it's it's that one or the other one. There's two that came out about the same time, and in there they Romero talks about that, and so does. Uh, so does Toby Hooper, and it's like, like like this was the country we're living in, and it's like we didn't under we didn't know what was going on. You couldn't right. trust anyone over forty, and get like all this stuff, and it's it's crazy. It's like you know uh, the way they were looking at things, and it's like okay. And again, as someone who was not alive then, 
you know, I mean, I mean, born in 78 puts me after, you know, this kind of movement. He's obviously a young adult when this is all occurring. Um, you know, you're looking back at things. You're like, okay, like, you know, it's, that's, that's one of the, that's one of the great parts about, you know, looking back at history and one of the worst things. Like, you, know, you look back at certain things, you're like, how did they not see this? It's like, well, okay, yeah, sometimes it's really hard to see what's happening when you're in the middle of something. You know, it's hard to see the forest through the trees, you know what I'm saying? And sometimes it's like, oh, I totally understand that. Or like, or like, well, life's not like that anymore. It's like, yeah, but, you know, and I think that's some of the things that happens with, with Romero in general. When you look at some of his stuff, um, you know, a movie like Night of the Living Dead that's shown, you know, just, it's just shown. It's, they're, they're nothing, it's, it's, it's nothing compared to like things they put out nowadays by way of like the insanity you're seeing on the screen. But but at the same time, like a lot of people miss the social commentary in it. They miss the they miss the whole thing. Um, you know, I mean, the idea of having just just the scene when Ben strikes her is so controversial. It's unbelievable at the time, and now people are like, "Oh, all right." Gosh, actually, now people are pissed. How can a man hit a woman in a movie? Why is she not strong and independent? Oh wait, they remade but- that movie, and they didn't like that. Yeah. And the remake of I liked I liked I liked the remake of Night of the Living Dead. I might be the only person in the world who likes it. Oh, like the Savini like one? Yeah, Savini one. Yeah, I like that one too. I like it too. Yeah. Yeah. Because then they I'm also make it. a remake of that with, um, with um, what's his name in it? With. Uh... Okay. Night of the Living uh, Dead 3D is atrociously yes. bad. I know. <laughs> Sid Haig. It's but it had Sid Haig in it. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. No, but that's I not even close Spider to Baby. the same movie. That's right. That's not his name. Spider Baby. No. <laughs> <laughs> Spider Baby. Ain't <laughs> work. Captain Spaulding. No, you're just naming characters now. <laughs> so, have a good dream and about fifty-fifty. You know, I mean, I, I put it this way. I mean, if uh, if someone's looking for, I mean, this is definitely worth a watch. It's you know not a movie. I mean, I wouldn't. I mean, I'm not. I'm not gonna. You know, go. I mean, first of all, it's, it's harder to get on DVD right now. Um, I mean, it's still available. I'm not saying it's not. Um, but it's not on Netflix. It's not on whatever. I watch mine on YouTube actually for yeah. free. Yep, that's what I was uh-huh. gonna say. It's for free on YouTube. It's it's so. decent quality. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, it's, it's it's taken probably from. I mean, it's not it's not a Blu-ray quality, that's for sure. But it's probably taken from an early level DVD because it's. I mean, it's clear. There's there's not there's no grain really. At least it's the one way I watched better than, a v, than the VHS copy I originally sure. watched. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah, and, and it's, it's in. It's, Sorry, sorry. It's it's it, no. I was gonna say it's in. It seems to be in the widescreen format at least. Yes. So yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it's it. It looks like, like you remember when they first when DVDs first started coming out, they they looked much better than tapes did, but they weren't quite what they are now. And it's that level, and it's well worth the time to watch. I mean, if nothing else, even if you watch it and you hate it, it you're you're not gonna come away not having some questions not some like oh okay i don't agree with that or yeah you know i see where they're coming from or man those guys are full of fucking shit which you might think anyway um you know kind of thing but it's worth the, the it's i mean I, I didn't feel it wasn't worth the time watching it i just didn't love it you know kind of like um you know and part of that i think also has to do with when i first saw it kind of you know having those kind of you already have that you know yeah, I first saw some. I didn't like it a ton when I first saw it, and it's hard to kind of get into something afterwards, you know. Mm-hmm. But and I and I would say to any listeners, if you want to watch Martin on YouTube, and then write in with your thoughts on Martin, is he a vampire <laughs> or is he a serial killer? You can what write to, to the count? Vault. 
What happened to the count, man? You should bring the count back. You can write into freakvault at gmail.com. That's freakvault, all one word, at gmail.com. And let us know, because I'd love to hear what the listeners think about this one, because this is a film I think that is is ripe for discussion and yeah. interpretation. Mm-hmm. Mm. And I'd, li- I'd like to see what younger people think of about it, who... who where you know it's it's completely detached from their time period you know yeah i can sort of i was i i can i can remember this time period you know so it's it, it's in that hazy memories of it and that colors my view of it i'd like to see what a fresh fresh young mind thought or a <laughs> yes, young not mind too fresh of any if they're listening to this show right exactly <laughs> i'd love to i'd love to hear a woman's take on it Okay, there has to be wait, at least wait, one woman wait. out there that listens. There to is, it. there I, is at least one woman who listens to this podcast. I will sometimes be playing the podcast there when we post I, them. That aren't really. My wife is in this. My wife is in the same room and has heard it. My wife has actually sat here where we recorded before. She sat in the same room with me. We were recording. She was crocheting. She's not doing it tonight. Tonight she's upstairs uh, doing. It. But she's actually sat there and crocheted and, and done whatever. And she's. Listen to the whole podcast happening, just my end of it. Not, not heard anything you guys are saying. Not so she's good. like, I don't know what they were saying. Twenty percent of the show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I do, I do love the talk. It's good. So well, you're a teacher, so you get paid for it. Yeah. Yeah. I the difference is, I'm not... for my demands of course stipend. <laughs> I always like I always liken it to beavers. Beavers, if they don't chew trees, their teeth grow into their brain and kill them. So that then it's the same with talking with podcasters. Talk- is, is that kind of like zombievers? Oh, that yo! Know, I changed my movie. We're gonna do zombievers next time. I haven't <laughs> even seen it. Wait. Oh no, zombievers is good. Oh, I'm not okay. joking. Like I watch zombievers, and it's all done with uh, uh, practical please, effects. Please mm-hmm. be a porn. No, it's not a porn. It is not a porn. It, it's not a porn. It uh, yes. it's it, oh, it's it's zombie yeah. beavers. I'm, 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 I'm sure there's there's a porn version going to be out there. I mean, I'm they looking. had to just made, they just made the they just came out with the um, uh, the Ronda Rousey uh, porn. Ronda arouse me and uh, um, oh uh, Misha Taint. You know, star, uh, starring in the the uh, UFC. Wouldn't, wouldn't a, but wouldn't a Ronda Rousey porn be over in like thirty seconds? Good, that's all I need. <laughs> the, the, the girl who's playing the girl who's playing Ronda Rousey looks nowhere near as good as Ronda Rousey. But um, but I'm saying is, but Zombievers. Oh, just, actually, let me let me jump in here. I I sent sure. you the Wikipedia page. It says category: pornographic zombie films, erotic nights of the living dead, evil head. Grub Girl, Erotic Nights of the Living Dead, L.A. Zombie, and Porn of the Dead. <laughs> I've only seen one of those. Then again, I don't watch a lot of porn. I'm not gonna lie. Erotic Nights of the Living Dead is an Italian. Yes, the, yeah, that's that's the, older. The, the cover for Evil Head looks pretty, pretty good. <laughs> see, here's what I don't understand: what's not on there? Zomb- zombie Lake is not on there. And if you ever see Zombie Lake, which I have, there's the guy is filming straight up. There is this. Girls in the water, and they're full on naked. You know, I guess there's no sex technically in it, um, except the one guy who tries to rape her when she runs into the bar after the zombie's trying to kill her. But there's some great scenes. If you're Zombie Lake, has some amazing scenes of naked chicks getting attacked by poor guys who are trying to hold their breath as zombies, and and they're beating the living shit out of these guys, and they're like, "Come on, lady!" And they, and they start grabbing boobs and shit. You know? 
Is that the so. French one? Um, well, uh, I don't know. I'm about to, I'm about to blow all your minds, though. Okay. Take one uh-huh. guess who plays Professor Raymond Noby in the Evil Dead porn parody. Uh, it's the, the, um, um, John Jeremy. Yes. No. The Hedgehog. <laughs> no. Lloyd Kaufman. Oh, whoa. Hey, <laughs> man. Wow. And, and the reception, it says that Evil Head was an immensely entertaining porn parody with an amusing cast and respectable attempts at replicating the source material. You know what? So. <laughs> that sounds like one of those Skinamax kind of porns, like the like the uh, like the Erotic Witch Project or the Bear no, Wench this is, Project. No, this is a Burning Angel production, which means it's it's hard. Oh, it's real porn. Do you think no you think he attaches a dildo to his hand? Uh, no, he's got uh, a chainsaw on the cover. Oh, that would be Edward Penis Hands. <laughs> the less said about that, the better. Probably so. Like the Joy Suck Club. Yeah. <laughs> now, see, actually, you know, in, in all seriousness. When I when I was in the when I was in middle school, I worked at the local comic book shop and video store, which was creatively called Comics, Cards, and Video Stop. Ooh, and yeah. all in the back office, we had all the posters up for Jurassic Pork, <laughs> which I have, I have never seen. But just for just for that, I want one of those posters. I would I, I get out of the store with it. Oh, L.A. And, uh, Zombie and, is a parody of Zombie. L.A. Zombie. I didn't. That's not a uh, parody of L.A. Uh, of um oh fuck I screwed it up the one with Steve Martin um no, oh, LA, LA story LA story thank you <laughs> no we were as like... the temperature dropped to seventy two degrees this weekend we're we're talking about LA story I think we need to wrap this up I was just right. gonna I was just gonna say we got we got we gotta go we got videos to look up now <laughs> oh I think yeah. this LA zombie is a gay yeah it's a queer cinema zombie film want wanna so Chris no, like, well, that's just ridiculous. <laughs> that's just ridiculous. <laughs> no, everything else at this point was totally fine, but this is I ridiculous. Just, uh, that crosses a line of credibility. Yeah. I just gave Twelve milkmen is theoretically possible. Thirteen milkmen is ridiculous. Alright, we're totally off the rails. Yeah. yeah. <sighs> Alright. We'll be back next month with the final one, which we haven't been announcing what the next one was because we like it to be a big surprise for you guys. Mm. So curse us now. It's a good one. Genuflect later. It's Mac the Night. Or Mac tonight. Martin is a boy with problems. Martin has a family history. Martin has too many nightmares. He lives in a fantasy. There's a danger that he'll take too far. His morbid curiosity. Too many looks He lives out A strange obsession Tries hard to resist But Martin needs His strange obsession To exist
If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at 2TrueFreaks.com to shop there. If you use this link to go to Amazon and then you shop, 2TrueFreaks gets a little cut of what you buy and it doesn't cost you anything extra. So you get to shop as usual and help out the 2TrueFreaks at the same time. Visit our website at 2TrueFreaks.com. 2TrueFreaks is always spelled T-W-O. T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. You can email 2TrueFreaks directly at 2TrueFreaks at gmail.com. 2TrueFreaks and all of its excellent affiliates are available on iTunes, and you can choose to subscribe to either the entire network if you wish, or pick whichever individual shows you want to follow. We have so many shows to choose from, there's just bound to be one that appeals to your particular fandom. Just search Two True Freaks with an exclamation mark at the end, space, and the number two. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? If you've enjoyed our show, please, won't you take a moment to rate us on iTunes? That helps others find the show, too. Thanks for listening. And join us every Monday for new episodes of... Two Two True true Freaks. Future Freaks has been brought to you today by Damanzo Corps of Milan, Italy, and by the letters F and U.